0: Well, greetings and salutations. It's good to see you this morning. It's a considered privilege to stand in this pulpit, and while you find the book of Job, I'll have a few comments I want to make with regard to my privilege of being here with you this week. I sat there a little bit ago and reviewed just a number of things in my mind about this congregation and my time here, over the years. I never would have thought uh, years ago, uh, I was attending a camp meeting in Campbellsville, Kentucky, and Brother Bartlett uh, had been invited to come and preach uh, one, one or two of the services, I don't remember how many, but he he was there and I didn't know this guy from anybody. And uh, somebody said, he's looking for you. I had preached, evidently he had heard me and thought, I need to talk to him. So he sauntered up to me and introduced himself and said, I'm wondering if you could maybe come and preach for me sometime. I said, Well, I'd be honored. I'd, I'd be glad to do that. You follow the leading of the Lord and you let me know. Well, he did at some point and got me up here my first time and uh, fell in love with you uh, out of the box. I want to say thank you, Brother Bartlett, for your kind comments uh, just before prayer this morning. In your introduction a moment ago, uh, the honor bestowed upon me to let me stand in this pulpit uh, for services, now this being the last one, and uh, I pray that God has used it to some extent. Appreciate the faithful people, your kind words, um, your generosity, which will be be bestowed upon me after the service as always, but I'm just so grateful for your kindness and your love and I'd cover your prayers as we go home. We're in a battle for the life of the church, not because we're at war with anyone else but demonic forces, to be sure, but there's great harmony in the house of God, but we're a small congregation, and I come back after it had been split for the third time. And we're trying to rebuild it, and it does not come without its challenges for a number of reasons we'll not get into. So I, I hope you'll pray for me and the congregation that God would send us people in. And, and I, th- I say that because <clears throat> I pray to God that you never, ever take for granted, much less let go of what you have. the musicians, your choir, your seasoned pastor, your leaders, your members, your children. I could go on and on. What a a great and grand thing you have here. If God wills, and we can come back next summer, We'll look forward to seeing you again. And I, like Brother Tony has said, that camp meeting is kind of a highlight for a lot of people around this country to come together and renew acquaintances, make new friends, revisit some memories, make some new ones, hear gifted singers and anointed preaching. And so I hope that you will continue to support that. And this congregation is just one of your many ministries. No wonder Jesus said, It would be better that a millstone were hung around your neck and you're cast into the sea than to offend one of these little ones. As I watch them children sing this morning, how innocent and how precious. May we be careful with them and nurture and turn them towards the Lord. Finally, I would say that the song that was sung just prior to me being introduced again this morning was spot on. It was a song that needed to be sung, a song of invitation prior to the message, and we'll give you a few minutes to think about all of what we've said at the end of this service, and a second invitation will be extended, an opportunity for you to come to this altar and make things right and make, it way, make your way safely home. My work, my responsibility, if not my call, when I'm invited to preach a revival is certainly twofold. Every preacher knows that. Either he will preach to the church or he will preach to the the sinner. This morning, as I did last night, I see myself more of an evangelist than in a pastoral capacity of giving the sheep and feeding the sheep. And I think that's really what evangelism has a lot, is is defined by. And so this morning I, I have prayed and I've studied and I've thought and I've pondered and made a couple of notes. I'm going to do the very best I can to awaken you to the realities of what the harvest of sin really is. Because there's going to be a reaping whenever this life is over. And so this morning I want to try, Now I love you, Sometimes we think preachers, because we get a little loud or boisterous, or we become animated, we walk away from the desk. It's not unlikely, or not unlikely, but it's not unlike me to sometimes come down and walk amongst you. But we're serious, we're passionate. I believe what I'm saying is true this morning. And I say it because I love you, I am concerned for you, even though I may not know you." God has already ordained our meeting this morning. If you're here lost without the Lord, you don't need to just kind of be afraid or just wish you weren't here or fear what's coming next, but you ought to thank God that you have an opportunity to hear what I have to say. I'm not a gifted orator. I'm not a theologian. I'm not, I don't preach all over the country 50 out of 52 weeks of the year. But I know enough about God's Word and what God has revealed to me that when sinners come under my preaching, that if God gives me the message He has this morning, it may not thoroughly convince you to the extent that you want to come, but I don't need to convince you. The Holy Spirit will have to do that. He'll have to anoint my words. He'll have to anoint my speech. He'll have to anoint my intellect. He'll have to give me what I need to say that He can convey that. And from leaving my lips to entering your brain, something will come alive. Not only understanding and a realization of where you are and where you stand before God, but we call it conviction. That spiritual nature that comes about to convict us of our sin. Jesus said, "Except." My Father, draw him, he cannot come to me. And so we want you to come to Christ, and we want the Holy Spirit to draw you. Now, by now you've found the book of Job. Uh, I apologize if I didn't tell you which chapters, not too far in the third one. The third chapter of the book of Job. We'll read but four verses. The third verse contains um, that portion of Scripture that uh, Job curses his birth. He's really now suffering to a great extent. All of us, for the most part, will not get into what he, what he had to endure and the loss of his property, uh, of his belongings, uh, his children, and even his wife told him to curse God and die. And so just his world as he knew it and as God had blessed him with it, was for all intent and purposes gone, and then he was afflicted all over his body. He's diseased, and so he's fighting this, this fight and this all that you can, we cannot begin to really appreciate, but we can to some extent imagine what he's going through. And so the third chapter, he's bemoaning his birth, and he's lamenting a number of things. And the fourth chapter opens with Eliphaz, the Tenomite, answering him and saying some things but we're only going to address or read four verses beginning at verse number six. Is not this thy fear or thy res- your respect and your awe and your reverence for God is how that word would translate. Is not your awe and fear of God and your confidence in God, your hope in God, and I'm adding God if you're reading, you know that, but just this is where this is and uprightness of thy ways? Remember, and think about this, I would ask you, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the righteous cut off? It's a rhetorical question, because Job would have to say, well, it's never happened. The answer lied within the question. It's non-existent. Given that then, he says, but what I have seen in verse number eight, what I have observed, what I have experienced, and all of us have too, I have seen they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. By the blast of God, in verse number nine, they perish, and by the breath of his nostrils are they consumed? God, we pray that you speak to our hearts now. We appreciate everything that's been said, the music that was, was given to us and the ministry through that. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to stand behind the sacred desk again and stand before this precious audience, sinner and saint alike. We love them. We want to be used by you to minister to them and to that one that has the greatest need here this morning by way of needing salvation. We pray that you'd speak to them even now. You probably already have through the singing of the music and the songs and convicts and maybe already beginning to stir their, their hearts and their minds towards their eternal uh, soul. So we just pray that you'd use this for a few minutes and we'll be grateful for anything accomplished in your name we've asked and we do pray and we're going to believe it. Amen. Amen. I have seen that they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness, they're pretty much going to reap the same because... The blast of God, they perish. The judgment of God, that which is due that individual from God, brings repercussions. I want to talk about four of them this morning with regard to the reaping of sin. Number one, the reaping of one's sin, not only in this world, but in the world to come, is according to... To the seed that is sown according to the seed you've sown we'll just say this this wasn't going to be a part of the message but briefly seeds sown are our actions that are taken words that are spoken thoughts that we think decisions we make and act upon Our lives in general, as we live them, we sow seeds. And so, the harvest of sin will be according to the seeds that are sown. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says this, Be not deceived, we'll talk about that in just a minute, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now every sinner in the house this morning, if there be any, and Christians would agree, whole lot better to reap life, life everlasting than to reap corruption. That's a no-brainer. We don't need a theologian. We don't need a preacher. We don't need an evangelist. We don't need our pastor to explain that to us. It's very simple. It, It comes down to the difference between do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? But more to the point, with regard to the seed being sown, it says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. I would add to that, God is not mocked with impunity. God is not mocked without punishment or reward. You can't mock God. Now, you say, well, I don't mock God. I don't, I, man, I'd never, I'd never say anything mean-spirited. I'd never down God. I mean, I, I just don't do that. Well, let me tell you something. I'm not talking about using words to mock God. I'm talking about sowing the seed and reaping. Sins harvest according to the seeds that you've sown and in deference to the blessings that God bestows on you and the life that you're able to live and you're capable of making the decisions to serve God or not and you choose not to, then you're going to reap what you sow. But listen, to mock God is not only in word but by your living in general and your living in general accomplishes this. You ridicule, you defy, you disregard, and you treat with scorn and contempt the very God that's able, willing, and desires to bring you out of that sin sowing seed. He wants to do that this morning. But be not deceived. Don't let the devil tell you anything else. Don't let some fancy ministry talk you out of anything that's not true. Don't let you, don't go any other way than what God is telling you this morning. You're not where you need to be. You're lost without God, and you can bristle, you can buck up, you can just say, I don't need that, I don't want to hear that, I refuse to accept that. Well, I don't know what brought you here. And it doesn't matter what brought you here. You're here, and you ought to bow your head and thank God that you didn't split hell wide open before you had the opportunity to come here. Every one of us have done that, but for the mercy and the grace of God, I'd been gone a long time ago probably, and if I wasn't and hadn't changed my way, I'd I'd be so entrenched in a life of sin, it'd been a, a great, huge miracle to ever get me out by now, at almost 70 years old. And so, we need to be careful this morning in recognizing that what was recognized in our text this morning that God does react, God does take notice, and God does do something about those who choose to sow the wrong seed. So be not deceived, don't think that somehow or another God is uncaring, God is unseeing. God is too busy to take note of your wickedness, your sinfulness, or any other way you want to state it. He's very much aware. And don't fall under the deception that you can live a life that mocks the very God who gave His only begotten Son in your stead, that you might not perish but come and know and receive everlasting life. You will sow, you will reap, and you will reap what you sow. Be careful how you live. I think of the children right now, back in the day, song that used to be sung. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Did you ever sing that around here? Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little tongue or mouth, what you say. Feet, where you go. I mean, we begin to instill in our children from the very earliest of their understanding. Be careful how you live, because if you live wrong, You'll never die right. (laughs) Our laws tell us how we ought to live. There's a morality beyond, it doesn't take Bible to visit a morality that many people just quite naturally uh, aspire uh, and embrace. There's a number of things in our life that's good for us. And they guide us and they teach us and reveal to us certain things. But there's none greater, there's none with more severity and application and repercussion than that which addresses the very soul and the eternal well-being of humanity. So make your choices carefully. Live your life carefully. Don't go out of here and throw caution to the wind anymore. Come to the altar and accept Christ this morning and learn how to live a life where that the sowed seeds of righteousness that you sow, you'll reap life everlasting. Number two, the harvest of sin is profitless. There's no gain to come from living a sinful life. Now, some people would challenge that right now, especially any number of sinners, or successful sinners in the entertainment, the sports world, or any other pursuit that brings wealth. And even those that aren't so wealthy, they still like where they're living. They like what's accomplished. They like their lifestyle. There's not enough conviction. There's not enough sorrow. They've not done enough reaping. But sooner or later, they're going to come to recognize and realize this biblical truth, and I'll give you the verse that I've aligned or assigned to this thought this morning, that the harvest of sin is profitless. There's not a man and women now, probably in farming, but over, over time no one ever decided, I'm going to go into farming and I could care less if I make any money with it. That's a fool's notion. But when we're talking about the harvest of sin, knowing going in And I'm telling you, maybe you didn't know it before, but I'll tell you now. But most people realize soon as they involve themselves in enough living with regard to sinful living, they start bearing the regrets that what they hope to gain, what they hope to accomplish, what they wanted to achieve, the joy, the happiness, the fulfillment, the contentment, Whatever derivative that would serve human nature for the furtherance of our joy while we live a few years on this earth, it's gone, it vanishes, it's taken away. Sin has destroyed it. And it's profitless. Jeremiah twelve thirteen says it this way. They have sown wheat, but shall reap thorns. They have put themselves to pain, but shall not profit. And they shall be ashamed of the revenues because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Sold wheat, but they'll reap thorns. No one intends, no one desires, no one tries to live so as to fail. No one does that. We, every day make an informed decision based on all of the accruement of knowledge and understanding uh, and, and life's uh, living and, 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 and all the things that come uh, with, with all of that. And we, we just try to do the best we can and, and, and live a lot of good life. But in a sinful life, in a life that's not defined by forgiveness, a life that's not defined by righteousness... A life that's not defined by the presence of God in your life and, and in a moment of time where that you've asked Christ to, for, or to come into your heart and life and ask God to forgive you and allow the Holy Spirit to come in. In the absence of that, you can sow wheat. You can find and keep a job. You can buy a home. You can father or bear children. You can make an impact. You can serve your community, you can shelter the homeless, feed the uh, hungry, Uh, you can give toys for tots, uh, and you may further uh, be successful in your career. I mean, we, we try to sow wheat, don't we? Sinner and saint alike. We don't sow thorns, nothing good can come from that, but sinner, I want you to know, that the wheat you're sowing, the good things that you want to do, some of the right things you're doing, the moral things, a productive member of the community. But sooner or later, when push comes to shove, that'll all come to nothing. And this is what'll be true. It's a little placard my mom had back in the day when I was a kid. Uh, My mother never worked a public job, and she stayed home with with us four kids, my dad worked and labored and, and he did, did well enough, but we had a humble home and we didn't have the extravagance, uh, extravagancies that others may have had and, uh, and all that. So my point is that she had a little, uh, a little oh, maybe 9 by 13 placard. Didn't even have a frame. The Background was in a, in, a, in a royal kind of purple and it was nicely done in script uh, and it was glitter. Uh, It was in glitter. And it said this. Only one life, and it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And everybody wants to sow wheat. We don't want thorns. Everybody in life puts themselves to pain. That is, the, the, the discipline, the sacrifice the effort, and the work it takes just to live and provide for oneself and to further oneself and to participate and garner and gain the things that bring happiness and joy to our life. But the Bible tells us, Jeremiah tells us, but that'll never profit. You can work yourself into your grave early trying to do everything right, to do everything to make accomplishment. To make decisions that furthers your, per, your perspective, cause, uh, and passion, however you want to phrase it, to whatever end, but it'll never, it doesn't profit, because that'll be gone, that'll be gone. We're told that it's someday in the not too distant future, many believe, they've always believed, but we, we surely believe it in the climate that we're living in today, that Peter tells us that the heavens are going to pass away with a great noise and the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. We know that God didn't say, let there be light and this world came into existence to have it survive forever. It was just a mere attempt by God to create a species unlike those that surrounded His throne who were forced or ascribed that behavior by virtue of their creation we're talking about angelic beings. Beyond that when he created all of of the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom that's not eternal that's gonna go up in smoke but what he did want he said let us make man in our own image and in doing so he wanted to have fellowship with you and I and that's broken that's, that's just broken, it's gone, it's, it's severed, it's not there. When we come to the age of accountability and we recognize we're lost before God, the song says we're lost and undone without God or His Son. And that desire and that, that ability and that, that act that God took to make it so that He could have fellowship. That was broken. We know that Adam and Eve sinned, and so all of that's visited on us. But nonetheless, every generation, every individual has opportunity to relink with God. And when we come to the age of accountability, we either decide to link up with God and have that that chain that was broken, restored, or that path to to eternal life and restoration with Him can be patched and made new again, whatever. Uh, But when we sin, then we recognize, or we don't recognize, rather... We hasten on in life, and we pain ourselves in trying to suffice for ourselves and provide for ourselves and find happiness for ourselves, but all of that, all of that pain, all of that discipline, all of that dedication shall not profit, and they'll be ashamed of the revenues because of the fierce anger of the Lord. God is not, you're not going to stand before God and give an account on any level of success. You'll never stand before God and He'll say, I couldn't be more impressed with your ability to invest money and make so much in so little time. Enter in, thou good and faithful servant. (laughs) I mean, there's just nothing we can, there's nothing that we perform, nothing we do, nothing we acquire, nothing we accrue, no talent we have, no ability that God's allowed us, bestowed upon us. No accomplishment. Great men in history have came and gone revered men and women have come and gone but those that did not accept Jesus Christ in spite of the effect and the impact they had on life and the world and cultures they died lost and it came for naught and the fierceness of the anger will be visited on them because they sowed the wrong seed and they've harvested now harvest of sin And it's come to be no profit. So, sinner, we could say right now, get your eyes for a minute. Get your eyes for the next few minutes off of everything in this world because it does not matter. I would say to you, and this is one of the biggest uh, impediments to someone coming to Christ at any given time in an altar call that we'll give you in just a few minutes, oftentimes it is a relationship. I want you to get your mind off of anybody that you're with. You'd be better off to go to heaven without them than go to hell with them. It may very well be if you decide to go to heaven, you can get them to go to heaven with you. But for the moment, get your, eye, get your mind off of any relationship. Get your mind off of any opportunity that would keep you away from God, take you further from God, put you in harm's way, keep you out of church. put a family, Put, your, put a strain on your family, your marriage, your relationship with your children even your morality, get your mind off everything and start thinking of what God's going to think when you've spent your life doing the best you can, wanting the things you wanted to do, try to be all things that was expected of you. Now there are many who haven't done that and they've landed themselves in jail. They've wrapped their trees around a, a, a tree and they've went out into eternity prematurely. Uh, there's a number of ways that we could, we could talk about those that aren't where you are. And you're just trying to do the right thing and be the right thing and be the best. And I think the army says that you can be. And, but all of that is profitless in the scheme of things. When you harvest your life, that's what we're talking about this morning. When you've planted everything you've done over a lifetime... Are you going to harvest heaven, or will you harvest hell? That's really what this comes down to. Number three. The harvest of sin is according to the seed sown. It will turn up to be profitless. And certainly, because of those two aspects, the harvest of sin is disappointing. Man, I can't imagine what it would be like I've, I, over the years when I've preached a different way and Judgment Day has been the topic, I have, I've often imagined, I don't know how you imagine Judgment Day, but I'm briefly just a part of it. What I've often imagined is what Jesus said, that sheep on the right, goats on the left. And we'll be separated. And I've often wondered of those individuals who, like you said, in services like this, over a lifetime had some or a lot of good Judeo-Christian upbringing, or not, who had an opportunity to recognize not only through teaching or some preaching or witnessing or a track you picked up in the workplace lunchroom or office. But somehow or another, you became acquainted with the notion, the idea, your heart was pricked, and you realized you weren't where you needed to be with God. And so that happens tens, hundreds of millions, billion by now billions of times over since Adam and Eve. People have recognized the chasm between them and a sovereign, eternal God. And now they stand before God, and right away they know something is horribly wrong. Because they're in a crowd with their drinking buddies, (laughs) they're in a crowd with their moral people, they're in a crowd with their friends that liked pornography. They're in a crowd with a drug-addicted community. They're in the crowd with the pornographers. They're in the crowd with the cursing. They're in the crowd with the generally, let us just say, what they perceive and realize immoral by comparison of the crowd across the way. A praying grandmother. Grandmother a mom and a dad that took them to the house of God, a pastor that made passionate pleas for them to come and join us and make heaven your home, choir members, evangelists, co-workers that witness to them any number of ways. They know something's wrong because the group they're with is dramatically different. Than the group over there. There's gotta be a reason for that. And you know what they're feeling. They're so disappointed. They're so disappointed that they have sown the wrong seed. And now they're going to harvest according to what they've sown. Here's what the Bible has to say about the disappointment of the harvest of sin: Isaiah 17:11. In the day shalt thou make thy plant to grow, and in the morning thou shalt make thy seed to flourish. But the harvest shall be a heap in the day of grief and of desperate sorrow. Now, what's that telling me? Some of what I've already talked about and don't want to revisit it. But it tells me we sow wheat and we reap thorns, yeah, and we put ourselves to pain and we, you know, we struggle, but it's not going to profit because it's all going to come to naught. The difference here is that it comes quite natural for us to make the plant to grow and in the morning to make your seed flourish. There's nothing wrong with, and it, and it isn't impossible for you to have a good life. You know, one of the greatest tragedies that I've observed over life, and I've stated it and others have stated it to me, and you all know them, some of them, and it's a shame that marvelous, wonderful, good people have to go to hell. Huh? You you know that to be true. You can't go to heaven without getting saved, and they've never accepted Christ, and yet their epitome of charity, they have... Sterling moral character. They have convictions and have stood for them that parallel Christian ethics. You you just can't find them. They're successful in their living, a a, a healthy marriage, children, and just just everything about them. And they're kind. They're generous. They They take the time to take time for you. They've encouraged you. Maybe they've mentored you. Any number of ways. We've all come with people and crossed paths with wonderful, good people. But I've buried some of them too. I've had to preach their funerals. And it's it's almost impossible, preacher, to do to have a good moral man or woman lying before you in that casket and all that is said about them all the marvelous accolades afforded them bestowed upon them and all that we do but I can't say because God won't let me lie to the audience in attendance that they went to heaven I don't say It's a shame, it's a pity this good man, this good woman had to go to hell. I'd be a fool if I ever said anything like that. I'd not be worthy of my call. But the very absence of saying they're in heaven, everybody knows it's doubtful, but we'll let that go. We're just going to grieve mama, daddy, husband, wife, or grandparent. And so we're told here that the harvest of sin is going to be disappointing because in spite of what good there is in life, and however good we live it, whatever we've done to accomplish, and God, listen, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, brother Bartlett. God blesses sinners. We, want, in fact, it's one of the uh, it's one of the things that's hard for us to explain. That sometimes, I mean, absolutely, unbelievably, inarguably, there are some awful. Now, I, I say this in, 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 a, in, a, in a Christian way. <laughs> there are some people that live pretty sorry lives in the public sphere. They make the news and they make the page and they're on, you know, People magazine or some other magazine. I don't know if that's even still in print, but nonetheless, they're, they're all out and they're on TV and they're, inter- they're interviewed and all of that. And, and they and they're just make me- mega wealth. And you wonder, what's going on there? God just seems to just, everything they do they got the Midas touch, you know. But that in no way. Be careful in your own life. You may not have a billion dollars, a million dollars, you may not even be have a hundred dollars in your bank account. But just know this, God's still blessing your life. God loves you and God's going to bless you. I know that God blessed me when I didn't deserve it. Give me a job when I shouldn't have had one. Kept, got me safe on, on, a, on an early Sunday morning after Saturday night. God only knows how I got there, but He got me home. And I didn't deserve that. The words that I spoke, the way I talked about Him the anger that lied within me for different reasons we're not going to get into in my childhood and different places, different things like that. All the things that came to the fore and made me who I was. I come to believe and come to find out that God just truly loved me anyway. And that was the motivating, driving force behind me getting saved as it was you. You knew how lost you were, you know how hellbound you were, sinner this morning, you if you, be honest with me, I can appreciate it if you will because I, I, I've been there myself. I don't deserve the goodness of God. God doesn't need to smile on me. let me be beyond that. God doesn't need me. <laughs> huh? God doesn't need me. He wants me, he can use me and he, and he needs me if I succumb to him and and relent uh, my carnality, my flesh, and, and embrace Him and, and, and the truth and His teachings and His call and all that, th- then He needs me to, well, I need you to pastor that church there in the Roanoke area. Uh, you know, I, I need you to let your light so shine. I mean, He needs those things, but in the scheme of things, eternal things, and in all of God's grandeur and all of God's creation, God doesn't really need me, but He wants me. And He manifests His love And his desire to have me by being good to me we always say ain't God good we sing about God being good the goodness of God I've heard it this week testimony song sure it is but the sinner this is one time you can amen (laughs) It's one time can sinner can say so be it it is so God is good in every way in any way but the harvest of sin is going to be very disappointing Because in those things, in all of those blessings, it comes down to this God only blesses you to give you opportunity to come to Him. If God steps back, if God lifted His hand, you lose your eternal soul. I pray for my son and my daughter. They're both lost. Brought up in church, tried to raise them right. For a while, they were quite active. My son is an accomplished drummer. My daughter's got a pretty good voice like her mom but they're squandering their life in a life of sin. My daughter, she's done pretty well with a husband, uh, and they, they do pretty well. <laughs> uh, my son, not so well. He's lost his way. He's like a little boy lost still. We pray, I pray for both of them because it doesn't matter whether she has a lot of money and he doesn't have any. They both go in the same place, but they don't get right with God. And so God's good to both of them in spite of themselves. But he like she and she like he. One day, in spite of it all, they're going to be very, very disappointed. So don't take advantage and don't take for granted the goodness of God, sinner. He's doing that to spare you long enough and give you opportunity and extend His mercy that you'll come to Him. You'll come to know Him. Finally, the harvest of sin is sure to come in the fullness of time. Revelation chapter 14, verse 15 says this, And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. Whatever you've sown, you're going to reap. But there's a grand reaping coming of the earth. The harvest of humanity will be cultivated, will be taken from the soil of this earth. It has grown, it has flourished, has been blessed by God and allowed to become what it became. And in all of that, A number of people came to Christ. A number of people are prepared for this event. Many are not. But that will in no way allow, cause, nor does it mean that God will hesitate. Often we wonder, why hasn't the Lord come now? Why hasn't the Lord already come? Between all of the abortions that we've committed in this country alone... And now we're, there's a quarreling going on over gender confusion. Then with all of the other moral uh, overtones uh, that are being introduced uh, and embraced and the breakdown of everything within our culture, one has to wonder. We wonder, what, what is going to push God over the edge, as it were? What, what, is that, what is that tipping point with God? Have you ever wondered that? What is that point where God's going to say, That's it. And as sure as he stepped to the edge of our universe and said, let there be light, he's going to do it again and say, now let there be darkness. And this world will be no more. And either God will allow itself to burn out with intense heat after we're all gone out into eternity somewhere having been judged, or will we become just a burning star in a cosmos somewhere. Doesn't matter. What matters is there's a reaping of the earth. God breathed a new breath of life. You became a living soul. God chose to allow the consummation born on the relationship with your mother and father, and you were conceived. You were born. You came to be. And God planted you within the confines Of humanity and our species but he's going to reap he's going to pluck us out he's going to bring us before the great white seat and the great bar of judgment friend are you going to be ready for that there's a harvest coming for this earth because the world listen I'm not going to get into the political realm with regard to to our ecosystem and uh, all things in the concern about climate change and global warming and all of these notions that are come about, let me just tell you something to ease and lay any fear you have. Man is not going to destroy this planet. <laughs> Man is not. That alone is left to the privilege, for lack of a better word, of God himself. Now we can scorch it over with nuclear weaponry. Maybe we can have some kind of meltdown. I, but anyway, don't get into that, Mike, because then you'll kind of get political and express your views and you might offend somebody, so hear me out. Just trust me. If you read the Bible, God will not allow you or I to destroy this planet. And as long as we're on this side of the timeline and we're spinning on our axis and the sun's rising and the moon comes up and the sun sets, the oceans ebb and wane, all of the things, the wind blows and the leaves change and tulips come up and ice still freezes, all of those things and just nature just continues to unfold day after day and year after year, we're not going to do that. Don't listen to those naysayers. They don't know God. They don't believe in God. I'll say that much. Otherwise, they'd agree. We can't destroy the planet. But one day, God is going to harvest humanity, and He will destroy this planet. There'll be no reason for it to exist anymore. Given all of that, then, given the harvest of sin is according to what we sow, it's profitless under the best circumstances. will be disappointed because it's never going to survive the fire. And it is sure to come. Then how could we debate? How could we doubt? How could we ignore? And we do so to our own peril. Knowing that God all along has had but one desire. And it was conceived in his mind and visited in the Garden of Eden. On two precious people that, that had the privilege that no other in our species has ever known. They lived in a sin-free world. <laughs> a sin-free world. And had everything that God could afford. If I had everything God could afford me, why? Everybody else's wealth would pale by comparison. You know what I'm saying? So, so, but they had everything that God could afford them. And they failed. And because of that, we find ourselves in our predicament, having sinned and come short of the glory of God day in and day out. That in no way, again, let me repeat myself, diminishes or lessens the reality that God is going to harvest humanity. One day when you least expect it, you're either going to die or the eastern sky's going to open up. It's going to fold back like the Red Sea. And Christ is going to come. And he ain't going to come and stand on the earth or put a throne on earth. He he's just going to, and we're going to be beckoned. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Where does that leave the sinner? Where does that leave him? All day. See, that's the first, th- that we have the first privilege visited within eternity will be resurrected first then they're going to come and meet us in just a minute and we're going to be judged now I know that God has talked to every sinner in this house at some point or another maybe not to the extent this morning he has in the past but he has set you up to know that what I'm probably talking about has has a reality has a validity of truth to it And you need to now, hear me very carefully in closing, proceed with caution. I'm not trying to cheapen any of this by scaring you, cheap theatrics, to get you to do something. I'm telling you, proceed with caution, and here's why. To whom much is given, much is required. Prior to this service, you had no accountability, having never heard this message. But now that you have heard what God has to say about the harvest that you're going to experience in this life, because sin never produces enough to satisfy humanity, and the harvest to come, you'll never be the same. Because forever, from this moment moving forward, to your, eternal, your eternity that will unfold and for which you will give an account. This message now will be included with what you do with Christ. What you do with Christ. The bar has been raised. I didn't intend to do that to prove, no, come on, I've just raised the bar for you. You better get up to it or you're going to die lost. I love you this morning. I'm not a fool. I'm just telling you, That every time you hear and every time God visits you and draws you, speaks to you, and woos you, and proves of his love to you, you're going to give an account. The bar has been raised this morning in your life a little bit more. I am not an egomaniac. I am not arrogant, but I'm going to tell you this. Brother Bartlett would say the same. Every preacher would say the same. There are messages we preach that have enough truth in them so that you can weigh the impact of your eternal soul and landing with regard to what we've said. That if it was the only thing that God judged you by in eternity, he could do it with this message. Now I want to I know some of you are thinking I don't know about that. I have spoke of heaven, I have spoke of hell. I have spoke of God's love and I have spoke of our responsibility within the framework of that and God's mercy of what happens when we ignore it. And the reaping that will be a result of that here and hereafter. Is there anything more to say to warn you about living your life moving forward so as to impact eternity safely? I think not. Thankfully, you've heard many messages before you probably, by the mercy of God, I hope you'll hear another one, but not one on salvation that will hit you or impact you like this morning because this morning you're going to get saved. (laughs) Don't know that. But I'm going to claim your soul this morning and ask God to deliver you from your sin. need song leader and piano player to come on up here. We're going to to let you go in just a second. Would you stand with me? Our Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and may your will be done this morning in the lives of the hearers of these words. I remember whenever I heard a message that would be similar to this in its tone and tenor, structure, and its verses, I could have never realized then how close I was to eternity. I never thought about one heartbeat from heaven or hell I never thought about each breath I took for granted, but with each one I took, it may be my last. I never really thought about every day when I got up each morning and saw the sunshine or soft rain falling, that I'd not live to see the sunset and the moon rule the night sky. I never could fully realize otherwise I'd have did what I'd done a whole lot sooner. But I thank you for the mercy that was extended to me. I thank you for the mercy that has been extended to those who are sitting here this morning. But help them to realize they don't realize how close they are. Because there's nothing in your word recorded that says we're promised longevity. We're promised another day. There's no promises that are given that we can rest on and be assured that putting off what we need to do this morning with regard to Christ will be afforded us tomorrow. So I ask, I gently plead, I implore you, Father, speak to these hearts in a manner in a way that only you can, where my words and my preaching has only opened their understanding and caused them to think about this, they cannot convince them of what they need to do. They have to be drawn by you. Will you do that right now? Show mercy on them, a measure of grace. Oh God, while the saints pray for every sinner in this place, touch their hearts now, in Christ's name we ask it and for his sake in nurturing and building of the kingdom. Amen.